You are now listening to FemRegard Podcast with Tessa Markle and Carolina Alvarez. Mmm. Fem. Hey, Fem fam. It's Tessa and Carolina. Um, we have another amazing guest for you and another, well, not repeat guest to our show, but a person that we got to talk to before because we were on their show, which you will hear about in the episode. So he is a friend to the show, Ryan Little. He is a director and filmmaker. His company is called Go Films, based in Utah. They do a lot of things on the on the filmmaking front. And his podcast is called Filmmaking Friends, which shares the experiences of other fellow filmmakers about the crazy things that they've had to do in this industry and how they keep doing it and keep going. Um, And we talk a little bit about where he came from and the projects that he's done and that he's currently working on. But really, I think we get into, you know, what makes you a good director and filmmaker and what keeps you going and what keeps you relevant and and motivated and so many different things that we get into yeah guys you're gonna really um love his tips especially too when it comes to prepping for a shoot um because as you guys know we're getting ready to prep for our first feature film and you know as independent filmmakers we don't got a lot of time and money to waste so I just get right up in his grill and start grilling him on on what it is that makes that the tools that he likes to ha- utilize on set to make it go smoothly and him feel prepared. And I just love hearing the different perspectives from different directors on the way they approach that question. And I think he gives some favorite answers to me of what I would even like to use. So I think you guys are going to really enjoy what he has to say on that front. Um, especially if you have a project yourself that's coming up. So yeah, Ryan's just the bomb. We love him. You're going to love this episode. So enjoy. I would love, Ryan, for you to just kind of give a little gist of what it is you do and where you kind of are in your career for our listeners if they haven't, if they don't know who you are yet. (laughs) Well, uh, originally I'm from Vancouver, Canada. Uh, that's where I kind of got my start. I come from a family of photographers. Uh, always thought I was going to be a photographer. And then in high school, I took a uh, video class mm-hmm. and I thought, oh, I think cinematography might be a little more interesting. Anyway, uh, so jump ahead till now, I own a production company called Go Films. Um, I produce and direct feature films primarily. I do some commercials and some television, but primarily I do feature films. And uh, that's what consumes my, that's my full-time job, yeah. basically, right. is producing and, and directing films. Yeah. I mean, yeah, once you get to that point, like to that level where you, you know, especially you're making money off of your films so that you don't have to have necessarily another like day job or whatever, it is all consuming. I mean, it's already all consuming for yeah. us and we do have other jobs. So I can only imagine, you know. Yes, it, it, it can be time consuming. And, you know, it's like there's different phases of it. As you guys know, there's the development phase. You're out there having meetings right. with people for potential projects. You're developing your own ideas. Right. You're finding people to write those scripts or you're writing them or whatever. Then, of course, there's the pre-production production aspect of a film. And then when a film is over and it's out there, there's still a lot of loose ends that need to be tied up, especially if you're doing something with, say, MTV Films or Lifetime or Netflix. There's a lot of legal stuff that has to be tied up, which kind of lingers for a while. Mm -hmm. So you've kind of got these three different phases 
as a filmmaker to be dealing with. And you and you've got multiple projects going on, so they're kind of overlapping. So you're finishing up the last of the legal on one while you're starting shooting on another. And you have to be very organized. That's what I'm trying to say. You have to be very organized or you'll lose your mind, you know? So and uh we do have an assistant, but I don't have my I don't have a personal assistant, but my company does. But uh but she's kind of spread out all over. So so a lot of it, the heavy lifting I have to do myself and I have to, I personally have to be very organized. Yeah. Yeah. That's I, a lot. <laughs> yeah. But I also want to radiate, like for me, like that's the dream. Like I mm-hmm. want to be in different, like with Femme Regard, like phases of production for either films that I want to produce or I'm helping like write or star in. Like since I talk to me, like, are you the producer and director for everything or are you also kind of a mix because I think that's beautiful when you can have your hands in different types of projects and different phases because that's how because it takes everything like you're just saying takes time so what is it what's your like I guess what hands do you play in all those films and especially you're leading a company that um that does various phases of productions. So how do you make that work for yourself and with what you like to do? Well, every project is different. It depends on how it comes to us. You know, there are times when people are just asking me to direct. They've come and said, hey, listen, we're producing this movie. We developed it. We wrote it. We financed it. We'd like you to direct it. And I'll just come in as a director. Mm -hmm. Um, And then there are other times where, you know, as a producer, I think the way that I see a producer there's different kinds of producers, but like, I think producers are entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. Producers are the ones that uh, go out and find those projects and find those people and find the financing and put that team together. And, and just like any kind of filmmaker or director, sometimes you have your own ideas. Mm -hmm. You have your own ideas, whether it's something you wrote or something somebody else gave you and said, Hey, you might want to direct this. But the point is, is that once you take that project, that, that script, and you go out and you lead the charge and you put the team together and you put the financing together or, or the distribution or whatever, you really are acting as a producer. So once for me, once I, if I'm fulfilling those responsibilities, then I really do feel like I am producing. 1,000%. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, especially when we start getting into budgets and things like that. Yeah. I feel a little bit funny taking a producer credit when I actually don't actually produce anything. Like if someone just comes and asks me to direct, um, I usually don't ask for a producing credit because unless financing is coming for some weird reason, partially through mm-hmm. me, then I just want to direct, right. you know, I, you know, so, and, and I started sense. as a cinema and I started as a cinematographer really. And, you know, I just came back from North Carolina working with a friend who directed a project and he said, Hey, would you just come and, and be the cinematographer for me. Cause I know that's, you know, that's your origin. Those are your roots. And I said, absolutely. Sometimes it's just fun to just, just be the cinematographer and not deal with the budget, exactly. not deal with the casting, not deal with directing the actors. And so sometimes I just do that. So again, it just depends on the project. Mm-hmm. I totally agree. And again, that's what I get excited about with us and like where we, we start to grow is because yeah, that doesn't mean like, Tessa loves acting. We both love acting the most, right? So we might not want to have to produce every single thing we acted. And that's why we love connecting with other creators on this show. Like maybe we can help write or act in something of another. And that's what the fun thing about, like, I think just being in a community, the independent community specifically, I think it's, you just get to find collaborations because 
it's a lot when it's not just your own thing that you want to die for and go ahead, you know, find yeah. that whole team and crew that what you were speaking of. So I, I love that. I love that you you have those different areas and projects right now that you're working on. And that's just kind of like the goal, um, I think. Well, one thing, you know, I wanted to mention one thing is is coming to my mind, something that you guys have said on the podcast before. I use a different term than you guys use, and I'm forgetting the term that you guys, I've heard you guys say, but, you know, I think it's also important to what I call it, be a double or triple threat. Mm -hmm. You guys use a different term. That's what it is. That's what you guys call it. (laughs) And a lot of hyphenates. Uh, (laughs) Yes, right. But 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 what I think is so important about that in today's film world is I think you really I'm going to call it film uh, I'm going to call it a double threat mm-hmm. I'm just going to stay to what I know but but anyway it means the same thing um, but I think I think um, who was it Warren Buffett would talk talked about there's a quote I can't quote it correctly but basically the idea of his quote was if if you have only one source of income one thing you do. You're just one step away from being unemployed. Mm. So, and I think the same can be, can, you can apply that to being a filmmaker. If you're just a director and that all you do is direct, you know, if you don't get a directing gig, then you're unemployed. Mm-hmm. But if you can be a producer and somebody else is directing, hey, you can still be a part of that project. Yeah. You can still be taking payment. You can still be working. Or if you're a cinematographer or if you're a screenwriter or an art director or whatever else it is that you can do, the more things that you're good at, the more opportunities you'll create for yourself for employment, especially in the independent world where it's not a nine to five job. Mm-hmm. It's not like every time you're off, finished a movie, they give you another one to do. Right. You have to find the work. Yeah. And so I think it's important for people to just, you know, be able to do those different things, whatever they yeah. are, whether it's a director, writer combo, director, DP combo, producer, writer, whatever the combos are, I think it's it's better to be good at least at two, if not three things. I agree. And I think it even like, it's still going to help you even in those specific areas that you want to get into. Because, you know, say you really want to direct, but you do know how to be a cinematographer and somebody has a project where they can only afford to hire one. So they want somebody that can do both, you know? So even though yes. it's like you really just going after this one thing, because you have this other skill, that's going to help you in that area too. So I think, yeah, yeah it goes both ways. It's going to help you get more employment opportunities because you have multiple skills and in the specific zones that you want to be in as well. And plus it just makes you better at those because you understand all the different aspects too. You know, as an actor, what, you know, an editor is going to look for and, and yeah. They mm-hmm. serve each other. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I totally agree with you. I think it's important to develop as many skills as you can. Obviously you can't do all of them, but at least you can get a, an appreciation for other people's jobs and at least get a little bit of a taste of what they do and what they're good mm-hmm. at and why they're good at it and what it is about them. And just the ability as a producer or director to know the right editor to hire, the right screenwriter to hire, the right art director or you know whatever that is, because you, you know what a good editor looks like and what they can do and what they're capable of and what they should bring to the table. Yes. And, 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 and so that's, that's why it's important to dive in there a little bit. You know, sometimes people are like, well, I'm a director. I would never hold a boom pole. It's like, well, if you're on a, sh- someone's doing a short film or whatever, I'm not saying, you know, be a director, boom, boom operator <laughs> combo. That's a weird combo. But uh, what I am saying is, is if a friend is doing a short film and you're like, oh, I'd like to help, but I'm a director. I can't do anything. You're like, no, but you can you can come help us. You could do the boom, you know, you'll get an appreciation for what a boom operator really does. 
And then when you're on set and you see the challenges of the boom operator and the, and maybe the lighting shadow that's being caused and it's causing the boom operator problems or whatever, at least you're going to have an understanding of how what a good boom operator can do yeah. and and the challenges they face. And it just makes yes. you a better director because you understand more of what's going on around you on the set. So and I would it's good argue to be well-rounded. that that's an amazing combo <laughs> because the okay. boom operator, first of all, there's a high demand for a good one. And uh, yes, the good yes, ones they are good. that come with their equipment, you are paying for the kit and themselves. So if you're an amazing boom operator who wants to be a director – you're spending time on set the closest to the action, to the characters, to the director, yeah, like observing the director. So actually that is a fucking phenomenal position to be in. <laughs> and they, okay. and they, I would, I would say that is where you're going to learn the most. And then you start building your directing portfolio. But if you need something to keep the lights on at the end of the day, you pull out your boomstick. And then like you said, you know what to look for when you're looking for someone in that position. So I'm always yeah. about that. I'm like, doesn't matter how obscure, it's a skill and it's on set and you know, you get to be in the action or as close to it. Because I UPM, but I've learned I'm not always as close to being all right in the action sometimes I get to sit and watch and I love that and that's when I'm observing taking my directing notes um but when I'm not the boom operator so I can't always be like right there watching mm -hmm. the action and the directing and and so that's actually yeah I'm gonna throw that in there I, I would say that's <laughs> okay. a great that would be my argument I love it <laughs> well now now when you guys do your movie I'm I'm kind of hoping there's a we see you directing and holding the boom pole at the same time in some behind the scenes <laughs> shots I'd like to see that combo in action she's only gonna be direct I'm already doing <laughs> the most my hyphenates for that film is already okay. doing yes the you've already hit you've already hit the max <laughs> I, mean, I, mean, I understand max. but keeping this in mind uh, for yeah. future projects for sure Carolina we're getting yeah. you on yeah. Um great. No, it's great, great. Love the challenge. Thank you. <laughs> but actually, you know, um, Ryan, but something I'm really excited to delve into today with you because you yeah. do come from um and we were just talking to you, my beautiful teacher, about um, you know, it's not you don't have to be an expert in the tech spec world to tell a story and to tell it well. Um, sure. And that's something that I've had imposter syndrome when it comes to stepping up for the role as director for this feature. It's a big undertaking with, with the constraints that you have. Like, you know, we don't have a million dollars to go and do this thing. So we have a time constraint. We have um, a time constraint. <laughs> and so it's, I'm excited to, to hear like your experience and in the, again, an in independent film and how there's some like, you know, tips and tricks along the way to getting, you know, the most of a day's work when you only have maybe eight to 10, cause I'm not about mm -hmm. overworking my crew. Right. That's also that in respect to that, it's like, yeah, what, I've and I've seen it with my with my budget, but I would love to, I guess, without throwing so many questions your way in this one one conversation, is just you know how what lessons have you learned from independent film, and what are some things that I think are maybe rookie mistakes even for someone who's first going into it that you've seen you're like oh no I'm working on the yeah. set like we can't do this you know yeah this is going to be a three hour conversation just so you know. <laughs> Just, just kidding. 
being being that we didn't, I didn't know the questions beforehand. I'm gonna try to think of like the the top list, kind of the most important yeah. things. Um, I'll tell you a few things, and and hopefully they'll kind of weave into kind of the conversation and the question you're asking me. Um, first and foremost, for a director, in my opinion, and I I will you know argue this and anytime anybody wants to talk about what's the most important that makes a good director, the very first and most important thing as a director is to make your day. You have to make your day. If you want to be hired again, you have to make your day because producers do not rehire directors who don't make their yeah. days. Um, you can be a great storyteller, but if if you're just blowing the budget and everything, then people are just like, unless you're going to win 10 Academy Awards with the movie you're making, <laughs> this is just not feasible. Yeah. So you have to you have to develop the skills to make your day. You have to have good time management skills. You can't just lean on your AD to be like the timekeeper. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You that's I would call that a backup. Right. That time let them be a timekeeper because that's an important part of their job. But almost first and foremost, take it upon yourself to be your own timekeeper. Yeah, and that's huge. Um, yeah, that's a huge one. And because a lot of times directors are just have I've got fifty shots and I'm just going to yeah. keep going until someone tells me we're out of time. No, you need to <laughs> you need to decide. You need to decide where your moments are in your movie, and you need to decide how you want to manage your time, how yeah. many takes you want to do. Because ultimately, as a director, it is your responsibility to decide when it is time to move on. Yeah. When the shot is is good and it's going to work for the story, it's time to move on. That's ultimately one of your big uh, decisions and, and responsibilities as a director. And so you have to manage your time to uh, to do that. I think also an important skill for a director to have is is the art of being assertive. Mm -hmm. um, and I didn't when I started out, people would tell me all about like ways that I needed to be as a director and would give me tips, but they would never use the word assertive. That was never the word they would use. They'd always use like, you have to be in charge and you have to be the leader and yeah. da, da, da. And I'd always be like, oh, does that mean I need to be like, not standoffish, but then if I didn't like someone's idea to be like, no, we're doing it my way. Like, you know, no, what you need to be is you need to be assertive, which means you need to have a point of view. Mm -hmm. You need to have a plan. You need to have an opinion. And you need to be respectful to other people. So when people are talking to you, you need to be like, this is, this is kind of what was in my head. This is what I'd like to do. This is what I think we can do with the time we have. And people are like, oh, he's really thought about this. She's really thought about this. She has a plan. She's, mm. I feel like this is a leader we can follow, yeah. you know? And they're not a dictator. Being a dictator is not the right thing to do. So it's learning an and developing the skills. Oh, I like right, that. Really exactly. knowing your your vision. I think that's that's why yeah. Tessa and I like we we have that's our way of communicating. It's like we sometimes have two different viewpoints on how to go about something or or story, but we both advocate for our ideas. And then at the end of the day, we're like, this is the right call. This feels right because yeah. it's done in that matter. And I think sometimes we've tried to express that and the way you're explaining it just to me, that's like it clicks. Like that's what it is. There's a way yeah. to communicate because I also want to be in a team and make a space as a director for people to come to me with their creative insights. That's why I'm hiring creative right. people. Yeah. Like you shouldn't yeah. be scared, but also at the end of the day too, it's like, I know very clearly to the kind of story I'm going to want to say. And if it doesn't quite fit, there's a reason behind that. Mm -hmm. Based off of what you just said, Reminded me of something that's important because you said you want to hire people that bring something to the table, right? Yes. You're hiring them for their skills. One thing that a lot of people do is they'll look at someone's resume 
and they'll say, oh my gosh, this person's resume is huge. They must be the right person for the job. That's not true. The best person for the job always, in my opinion, is a person that has good taste. Yeah. If you hire a person with good taste over a person who has a huge resume, you will always get a better result. Because I've worked with production designers that have tons of, you know, credits. Mm -hmm. And then I'm always like, what, what is, what is, what is this design you've come up with? And <laughs> yeah, can they you just don't have good taste. good taste a little bit further. Like what does, <laughs> what does that mean? Cause that's also subjective. So like, yeah, is no, it, it is subjective. It is subjective. It's like, how yeah. do you tell if they have good taste then? Is it exam portfolio examples? Is it just having a fucking sit down cup of coffee with them? And really just to me, that's what I start to really rely on more. It's like, can mm -hmm. we just be real? What is it that like gets you excited? Do you love like yeah. horror? Like what what is it about horror, right? What it what's the subgenre? Yep. Cuz that's also really vague, right? There's there's the like there's a sense of horror too. You can go really different streams, right? And and I think to me, just going off of what you're saying, this is what's coming to my mind. It's like I think that could be even why it's so important to really meet the people don't just go off a paper mm -hmm. list of credit mm -hmm. resume. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. In fact, it's 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 almost more beneficial. Just like you say, get to know them. Yeah. See what they what kind of movies they like. And if you find a movie that you both like, say, well, you know, as a production designer, what did you love about that? And they're like, oh, did you notice in that cabin how all that wood was like shaped and it was like burnt? And and you're mm -hmm. like, oh my gosh, that's what I loved about it too. Then you make a connection, and and then you're right. You know, obviously, good taste is subjective. You mean, you know? No, I just we all like, can believe like we how have do, good can we taste, how can we but... delve into that for our listeners? Because right, it's like, yeah. what is what about the the good taste and the way you're describing it too now with it's just like noticing the same almost details mm -hmm. in something mm -hmm. and yeah. what what creative like vision so i i'm not i'm sorry i, I feel yeah. like i'm harping on you saying good <laughs> no taste. no, no, no i just wanted to like micro yeah. go in micro yeah. with that too because i love that i think that is such a great yeah. message on on hiring i mean it also yeah you'll just sorry i just want to say oh, that sorry, it also ahead. like entails that you get along with somebody on set you know you don't want to hire sure. people that you're going to have a miserable time working with <laughs> If they, if you, if you feel like you have chosen somebody that you believe has good taste, guess what? You probably will never have an argument. Yeah, <laughs> you just won't because you'll come in, you'll come in and go, "Oh my gosh, this looks so much better than what? we what we discussed. Yeah. You took it and then you you plussed it." Yeah. Every time, I have an editor friend named Harry Miller, and he just has good taste. And I give him my movie and I know that I've got all the pieces. Mm -hmm. Like I know what's going to cut together. Yeah. And I'm one of those people when I do a movie and people go, how was your movie? I go, yeah, yeah it's probably watchable. <laughs> like I'm never one that can go like, oh my gosh, my movie is going to blow your mind. My movie's so good. Like I can, I, I can never talk that yeah. way. It's a good but I give the movie ego to have. <laughs> I, I think it we, is. We're but, here for that. <laughs> but he, you know, I give him the movie and then it'll just be a rough cut. And I'll be like, oh my gosh, you just took what I did and you just elevated it. And he's like, well, yeah, you were doing this thing here. And I was kind of like, saw what you're going for. But I realized there's a way that if I cut it like this, I can actually, I think, amplify it much better. And I'm like, yeah, that that's way better, <laughs> you know? So so yeah, just trusting people that have good taste. And, and I think that also goes along with, um, and again, like we said before, yeah, you know, it's subjective, right? Mm -hmm. You know? We think we have good taste and we may actually not, but, 
but I think but it's your think, movie and it's your crew, so yeah, it can yeah, be subjective yeah. to you, of course. Yeah, yeah. But I have worked, and I and I've worked in a situation before um, where you know there was a lot of voices in the room, and I had worked with a production designer who was very talented, and we get along great. But the other creative voices were telling her to do something kind of different. And a lot of it just was a mess because the other people, at least a couple of them, really didn't have very good taste. Mm -hmm. And so they kind of like just made a mess of everything. And everything was kind of like you could see the potential in it, but you could see that it had been messed with. Somebody had put their handprint on it and had adjusted it. And it was going in the right direction. And then it kind of went like this. Yeah. And it's kind of like. We've all yeah. seen those films. Yeah. We've all seen yeah. those films where yeah. you're like. Too many voices in the room. Why didn't we just stick to this one thing? You were so good. And then we did yeah. too, We did the most. We did the most, boo. We got to reel it back. <laughs> back to also just moving efficiently. Because there's a lot of little things you can do. Yeah. Is. Uh, um, I've got like three in my head. And I'll try to say them really quickly. Um. One, when it comes to working with more of the technical crew, giving the technical crew a lookbook or something that's very specific to what you like mm -hmm. and what you don't like helps to minimize the conversations Ooh, on set. I love that. Yeah, Like with a wardrobe, with a wardrobe person, the more examples of you like, I, I don't want you to rip this off, but look at this actress in this movie. Yeah, I love this. I, if you did, if you could take this, I would just take it. But we can't. But I love this. See this over here. This is terrible. I don't want to see anything like this, please. You know, I didn't just even minimizes. think about that. Like the the other end aspect of what you don't like. That's also yeah. That's that doesn't hurt. Yeah, <laughs> doesn't it? Does it doesn't hurt? But it, but at least it minimizes the conversation because when you're on set, yeah. The most important thing, besides obviously making your day, like which is what I said, is to keep that camera rolling. If you're not rolling camera on anything, you're not doing anything really, yeah. right? People want to watch, actors want to watch playback. Can I watch playback? And Dada's like, no, you can't watch playback. If you want to try something, let's just shoot another take mm -hmm. real quick right now. And then we can do look at it later, you know? Yeah. Well, I just, you know, I wasn't sure if I liked, we'll do the other version. Just do it right now. Yeah. I don't want to show you that and then let's discuss it for 10 minutes and then guess what? We don't get the other two setups we wanted because we ran out of time. Yeah. Just You just want to be rolling camera. So when it comes to working with actors, yes, there has to be conversations on set about adjustments or whatever, mm -hmm. of course. Mm -hmm. But the more conversations you can have before, you know, with your cast members, a sit down, a visit, wherever, where you don't feel pressured on time, yeah, yeah. discuss through any concerns they have, uh, the, the key scenes, mm -hmm. the scenes that are going to be memorable. Like, you know, it's pretty easy when you read a fairly easy when you read a script, you're like, okay, what scenes when this movie's over, are people going to talk mm -hmm. about? It's going to be this scene, this scene, and this scene. Yeah. So if you're going to focus your energy on anything, talk to your actors about those three very specific scenes more than anything and say, we got to knock this out of the park. So let's talk through this now. So we're on set. We have all the time. Mm -hmm and all the preparation needed to really do a good job with it. Yeah. And if you do that, then, then you're not wasting time on set because the sh you're having a shorthand conversation with the actor. Like, hey, remember how we talked about it? Let's do that. And if we need to tweak, we'll tweak. But at least we're 90% of the way there. Yeah. You know? yeah. I love that as advice too because, you know, so often like – 
we always want to rehearse and 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 get to be able to yeah. have that time to play, but we don't always get it. And more often than not, we don't get it, you know? So at least having yeah. that conversation of, hey, let's talk through this. Let's let's talk about what the challenges are. Then when you go into it without any real rehearsal, you at least know what's expected. You at least yeah. know what what is what they want to see out of you. That's really good. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that's important too. I had another thought that came to mind, but I maybe it'll come back to me later. But but those are some of the things. And I think sometimes directors don't realize how important preparation mm -hmm. is. You need to spend as much time possible before, you, before you're on set to just be as prepared as possible. Not to say that you have to use every single note or thing that you've written down, but at least you have that foundation. Yeah. So when you get a little lost and a little confused, you can always go back to your foundation that, of the notes and things you've already prepared. But then when you get on set, you know that's a, your safety net. So you can change things if you want. But if you do get confused, you can always go back to it. So many times as a cinematographer, this is one of the luxuries of being – this is one of the things I love about being a cinematographer too is I get to actually observe other directors' work. Mm -hmm. And I get to see good and bad. And I learn from their mistakes and the things that they do well. And I'm like, oh, I'm taking that. I'm putting that in my toolbox. Okay, I'm never going to talk to an actor like that. I'm never going to do that. Yeah. Um, and and I'm so surprised by how often I just see directors that just don't don't do their homework. They come to set and they think it's going to be fun and which it should be, and they're just ill prepared. And then they just don't make their day because they spent too much time talking about things that they should have prepared beforehand. Mm -hmm. I think that's really good that's, advice. So, that's huge. Um, yeah, I'm curious for you, Ryan. Uh, what is your safety net? Is it um, some note? Pad, like a uh, note cards mm. that you write is it really having a well prepped um oh what's it called oh my gosh shot uh, list. board shot list thank you um mm -hmm. and i and i know that could vary from different project to project but let's just say it is like a an a more independent feature or short film like what 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 is your safety net i'm curious well it, it's changed it's changed over the years you know i I, I think I've directed 10 features now, might be 11. Ooh, congrats. And so, yeah. So when it started back in the day when we didn't, we have, we had computers, but we really didn't use them on set. They're too bulky or whatever. Everything was done on paper. Right. right. But now, especially the last couple movies I've done, I've, I've changed over to something called scriptation, which I'm sure you've heard of. It's a great no. tool. Enlighten oh, us, I'll introduce Ryan. you to, oh, you'll love it. <laughs> okay. So scriptation <laughs> is 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 a great for directors because it allows you to keep all of your organization of your notes, your photos, everything. Primarily what I would do is I get an iPad Pro because I'm a little iPad's a little too small because mm -hmm. I would have to wear glasses, but a, you know, an iPad Pro is a good size. And basically it's a digital form of your of your script, but it allows you to put little notes in there. Um, you can put hyperlinks to websites if you want. Um, and so so I have that and it's just much easier than a big bulky binder because they're always bringing you new pages and it's just a big mess and we're saving trees this way. <laughs> um, so, so I use that now, which I really love. Scriptation is really great. And it allows you also, um, it allows you also to, uh, as you take notes and put notes in your pre-production, you can put categories uh, in your notes and then you can just send us, uh, you can send a version of your script with your notes 
with only certain things highlighted. So like you can send it with, you could have like notes for the DP and notes for the art director and notes for wardrobe, but you can, you can unclick a few things. So then when you send over your notes to the wardrobe, they're not getting everyone's right. notes. They're just getting their notes. Right. That's So huge. that's really nice that's and really organized, nice. Yeah. very organized. Um, and then, so I have that on set. And then one thing I do is, um, my shot lists are a little different than other people's shot lists. Like sometimes, like, especially when you're first starting out, you'll write a shot list and you'll be like, master, over, single, single. Well, that's called standard coverage. I never really write that. I really more like write like, like the thing that's important in the scene, mm, right? Okay. So Ooh, on my shot I like list, this. so on my shot list, I always write, what the transition into the scene will be and what the transition out will be. Because a lot of people don't think about transitions. So I do that because that's key. Hell, you know, is it going to yeah. be a straight cut? Is it going to be a smash cut? Is it going to be a dissolve? Whatever. Mm -hmm. At least an idea of what you think it's going to be. So I do that. And then I try to key in on like, if there was one moment in the scene to represent this scene, what would it be? And then I make sure that I describe what it is that I want to do specifically for that shot. And then if there's any special shots that I want, like a very specific dolly push in on a moment, on a line, mm -hmm. things like this. Um, Ryan, I love this. I, this is like I don't really, so good. <laughs> I don't usually write, though, the standard coverage. Yeah. So when the AD looks at it and says, well, I sort of see like 10 things here. Is it 10 shots? And I said, well, actually, it could, might only be five. Uh -huh. Once we kind of block it, actually, I might be able to get a couple of these with just a pop-in zoom. Or they'll be combined. Yeah. But these are moments that we need to make sure that we we're getting don't forget yeah, about and translating. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And producers and ADs don't necessarily love my shot list <laughs> because it's not like, oh, we have ten setups. Uh -huh. Right. Yeah. And sometimes and sometimes the scenes will just be like very specific. Like it'll be establishing shot of building. Right. Close up of, you know, rear view mirror getting adjusted or something. And it's like very clear it's only two setups, right? And those are and I usually sense. know. Yeah. And I usually know where I'm going to be and how many setups I need anyway. So they'll usually ask me right away. I'll say, I think we're going to do about five setups in this scene. But these are the beats that we have to make sure that we don't forget yeah. about. You know? Yeah. And I think that means so like I do that. you, you to, to be able to do it that way, you have to be working with people that you know are going to kind of jive with that. You know what I mean? Like you said, like some yeah. producers and 80s are going to hate that versus like yeah. that's your creative process. So especially if you are already working with people that you've worked with in the past, for instance, and that know your style, like I feel that that's a great approach. But yeah, it's like you have to feel that out too to see if it's going to work with the people you're working with. Sometimes people, what people will do is they'll write every shot they want, even though they know they're not going to get them all. Mm -hmm. So let's say they, it's this like little game that they play with the producers in the 80s <laughs> where they're like, I'm going to write 15 shots, but I really only need eight. Yeah. But so then when they tell me we need to cut something, I can cut all these shots and it doesn't matter because I really only wanted these eight. And I feel like that mind game is kind of weird mm -hmm. because then it just looks like you, you don't know what never get what you wanted yeah. to get anyway, yeah. right? It's kind of like the crew's like, well, I, I got a copy of the, of the shot list and every time he only gets half the shots, man, he's not good at getting his shots. Yep. And so it kind of sends a weird message. Yeah. So by having more about like the beats and the things that I want versus a numbered list, uh, it kind of diffuses that bomb a little mm -hmm. bit. But you also have to have a producer and a DP and people like that that understand your style. And I usually do work with people that get that. So so that's important. Um, 
safety net, other safety net things. I mean, I think that's kind of it, really, those two things. And then just surrounding myself with people that, again, have good taste and good skills and mm-hmm. and and have good opinions, you know, have ideas, you know, actors, DPs, and people that just can get the vision of what you want to do and can make suggestions. And you go, they go, you know, especially your DP, when it comes to the visual aspect, it's like, you know, I see what you're going for with the notes. Mm-hmm. If we shoot it right here, I don't have to turn around and relight. Could we have that actor just move a little bit and turn? Mm-hmm. And then that will save us like an hour. And I'll be like, yeah, let's see if the actor is willing to do it. But yeah, I think that would be great. Yeah. Let's let's try that. It's, it's It achieves the same objective, you know. I love that. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So those are, yeah, I think those are some of the things that I try to do. Mm-hmm. So, I think that it's great that you're also um, – willing to listen to other people's opinions too. You know, I think a lot of times we can get caught up in this kind of ego trip and it's not even about like the ego trip of, oh, well, I'm the person in charge, but it's the ego trip of, well, this is my project. I I know what I'm doing. I have the right idea. And yes, that's true. And like you said, as a director, you have to be able to be, you know, in charge, but at the same time to be willing to listen to other people because sometimes, you know, an actor, for instance, doesn't know any of like the technical things of whatever whatever the shot is but they have this really great idea and it brings this whole new new perspective to the scene so i just think that's important mm-hmm. to point out too yeah yeah absolutely i i totally agree with you um i think uh, one of the things that i've been thinking about a lot lately and if there's anything that i can keep developing i mean we can always develop more skills technically because just of technical advancements you know every time we turn around some new cameras being invented exactly. or some new technology and it's important to understand and know those things you know you can read a- asc magazine and watch you know videos and commentaries and everything to keep up on all that but i think for a director i think the one thing that gets neglected because the technical part's a little easier to manage mm-hmm. and and quantify and learn is um, is the ability to speak other people's languages specifically the actor's language yeah. and really spend time learning how to communicate with actors um, we hear this all the time, but we really don't put the energy and time in it as directors. We think, oh, yeah, no, I get it. We just need to be supportive and nice and <laughs> and not yell, and that's what they mean. And it's like, well, no, there's a lot more to it than that. Yeah. Um, but anyway, it's a skill set. Yeah. I feel like if I if every time I walk off a movie, if I'm like, okay, I want to be better on the next movie – I don't split it like I need to have 50% more technical knowledge as a director and 50% more on, you know, the aspect of being an actor's director. It's more like 15% on technical, you know, knowledge in addition to what I already know. And like, you know, 85% on focusing on developing better skills, talking to to actors. Mm -hmm. I think it's the place where we need as directors, we'll we'll, we'll do better in our careers if we spend more time learning that aspect of directing. I agree. I love that you bring that point up and, and, uh, I'm curious, would you have you, or would you have, would you ever take an acting class? I have taken two acting classes and I've been in three plays Nice. and I've even been in a couple TV shows and stuff and had one or two lines. Right. That's amazing. 
And I, yeah. I lo- not that not that any of it was very good. <laughs> it doesn't matter. It but doesn't it gave matter. You the experience. Yeah. I think yes. it gives you yes. the experience and the kind of putting yourself in that vulnerable place that actors have to constantly go to. And sometimes I yeah. think I'm not saying every director needs to, but I think it couldn't hurt to like, yeah. you know, switch roles a little bit and like be like, oh wow, like so a note I think Tess and I gave to a director the other day on the show was just like we love knowing if you're going to change the the angle or do another take. We love to know that, A, like just say that was a good take, but give us a little more context, like why we're doing the take again. Because we might not know it's because the light got caught in yeah. a weird way. And so yeah. then we we get in our own heads because we're already being vulnerable. We're like, oh my God, the director didn't like that or is it good? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. it's like yeah. things like feedback. And <laughs> like, let me know, know if until... you want me to try something different. Let me know if it's just for safety. Mm-hmm. Let me, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. The one thing, it was funny because when I first started directing, what I would do, because I'm actually quite good at pre-visualizing, kind of seeing how it's going to cut together. And that might become, that might come from the world of being a cinematographer first, mm-hmm. just because it was so visual. Yeah. Def- so what definitely. happened is you got that when I first started, I would, I'd go, we'd shoot a, we'd shoot a shot and I go and cut. And then I would go. Okay. That was good. All right. Let's, let's change it. And the actors would be like, oh my gosh, he's like, not sure if he liked our take. <laughs> but what I was actually doing was, is I was processing and going, okay, she did that entry really great. And then she turned that was perfect. And then she flubbed something, but it doesn't matter. I'm not going to use that. And then, and then it kind of works here. So I've got all the pieces. So yeah, yeah, yeah. That was good. That was good. And so, but it was misinterpreted that I was like, did I like it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I learned not to do that. So, so I still think pre-visualize and I still think about that, but I don't do it right away. What I, first thing I do is we call cut Unless it was horribly wrong, like, you know, the set fell on the actor or the actor <laughs> fell down or something. Apparently, like, everybody knows that yeah. that take was bad. Yeah. yeah. I will just go, okay, great job, guys. Great job. Okay. Uh, I want to tweak a couple things. Just everybody just relax for a second. Let me tweak a couple things. And then what I'll do is um, I'll go in and talk to the actors and I'll try to only give them one, maybe two notes. Even if I have five I'm only going to give them things that are one that are playable mm-hmm. and two are the easiest ones to master first. Yeah. And I even know that even though after I give them those notes, we're going to go again because there's three other things that are problematic. I'm not going to give them those five things yet. Yeah. I'm just going to give them one or two. Smart. I'm like, I'm like, okay, that's great. And you know what? And then the next time you come back, you go, that was perfect. Thank you for that, for that adjustment. That looks so good. I'm now realizing there's actually something else I need you to do too, or something else we should discuss. Have you ever thought about what if you did it like this? How do you think that would go? And sometimes I propose it as a question. Mm-hmm. So it may take two or three takes to get us there, but at least, at least we're working in a good direction where if you go in and you say, okay, Tessa, okay. <laughs> Six things I want you to work on. The minute you six, you're like, holy crap. Yeah. I, 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 can, I barely can remember three. What do you mean six? You yeah. know? It's not going to work, no. right? So, <laughs> so it's always good to go in with small adjustments. Um, I love that. That's and a I'm great trying tip. To, I, mm-hmm. So I do that. And I also try, if possible, especially if it's something a little more dramatic or something that's not so light, I try to talk to the actors kind of, and it's hard sometimes, but I try to talk to the actors 
with just them and nobody else listening. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. So it's not like I'm giving you direction and the other actors got no notes and they're just like, yeah, come on, step up your game, Tessa. What the freak? <laughs> yeah. You know, Ryan's giving you like five notes and he's giving me nothing. <laughs> so I try to like, I try to like talk to every actor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Even if I have no notes, just saying, hey, I love, I, sometimes I just tell them something I've noticed they've done, even if it's nothing that was my idea. And I'll be like, I love it how you turn after you say that line and put that prop down. That was really cool. I don't have any notes. Just we're going to go again, though. And then that person's like, okay, cool, cool. It's working. It's working. Yeah. But then if I go to each person individually, they don't know if I'm giving them a compliment Mm -hmm. or if I'm giving them a note. So they think everybody's getting notes. So nobody feels like, oh, she's getting notes. You know? Yeah, I love that. So no, that's that's really important. It's to have that awareness as a director that you know, again, if if you haven't been in an actress position of the vulnerability you have to bring and like yeah. that it's not that, oh, we have, we're so sensitive. No, it's just like, just think about the way you're communicating and how mm-hmm. that could impact the ecosystem that you're living in on set. Like it's, it's because it's never done with malintent and the actors will know that like especially if like okay maybe i'm getting a few notes it's like this is probably a difficult setup and scene and i can see that and he's communicating that's we're good and you're communicating that it's good too like as you're getting through those those takes so i think that's really really valuable and and kind and shout out to um Judith Weston's book. I was just going to mention that. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Listeners. So essential. She's been on our show. If you haven't heard our episode yet, by the way, guys, yeah. I think that was last season or two seasons ago. So make sure you guys go back and listen to that. Yeah. I'm going to interview her next month in January. <gasps> yeah. I love that. Yay! She's so, awesome. Cause her book's been out. Her book's been out for 25 years. Yeah. So, and that actually is a great thing that you mentioned that because that's essential reading for all directors. If you don't read, Directing Actors by Judith Weston at least once a year, then you're doing something wrong. You should read that every year because it's it teaches you just how to talk to actors. Mm-hmm. And I'd say in addition to that book, um, there's a book by uh, an, uh, who's very much in line with what she's teaching. And it's also, I would say, required reading. Uh, it's um, John Badham. His book is called On Directing. John Badham directed like Saturday Night Fever, War Games, Blue Thunder, a lot of movies from the 80s. Okay. okay. Um, he's done a lot of TV more recently, but boy, his book called On Directing is sensational. It's all about how to talk to actors. Nice. He has a second book, which is very funny, which he wrote first. It's called I'll Be In My Trailer. Mm-hmm. And it's all these stories about horror stories of how not to work with actors <laughs> from his personal experience. Yeah. Oh my gosh, that's um, fun. And yeah. it's well sad, but es- yeah, essential, <laughs> essential <laughs> reading, yeah. essential reading. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, uh, you'll get more mileage out of understanding how to talk to actors than you will out of reading every ASC magazine for the year or whatever <laughs> else is out there that you want to read or commentary track by Edgar Wright or whatever. Those are all great things to do, but if you're going to spend, you know, figure out your, how much time you have and what you're going to spend it on, spend most of it on 
things like directing actors with Judith Weston. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And I think Carolina, like you had mentioned too, it's all about like the ecosystem of, of the set. So, you know, it's not just the actors, it's how the director talks to everybody and how everybody uh, is working with one another. Exactly. Yeah. Because one is fueling Mm -hmm. another, it's a flow. And if one person is hurting, like it is going to impact the entire shoot, right? It's just, that's how, delicate and beautiful our art is like it's it's everyone's giving something and everyone's actually vulnerable to it I shouldn't say just the actors you know everyone's playing their own vulnerability in in creating something because that's the beauty of our work it's like making a story and the or that's what I at least want to call it like someone's Mm -hmm. just making whatever film and it shows when it's just kind of a we're here to do this kind of commercialized like thing that we think is the story or the art and you can feel it too when you look at the cuts or like you know the way the story is told so I love I love um I guess relaying that a little bit further yeah um Um, I was gonna say also you know the other thing that I I learned after doing a few films is another important skill that all directors need to have it's not even should have or want to have absolutely need to have is you have to understand that you and the number one and the number two on the call sheet, but I'll definitely the number one on the call sheet and yourself are, you are the uh, tone leaders, Mm -hmm. if you will, for the entire set. And the two of you have to have a conversation together about how you're going to lead the cast and the crew in a positive experience on set. Mm-hmm. Yes. If you if you're the director and you just yell or you come on set and say, "I'm not going to make my day." Blah, it just trickles down to everybody. Yeah. Um and that and that number 1 on the call sheet, your your top actor, you know, or your top couple couple actors or whatever, they also have to be on that same level with you. Mm-hmm. They have to lift everybody up and say, "This is awesome. Look what we get to do for a living." We're here. This is the best crew ever, the best cast ever, the best script ever, and we're going to have an awesome time making it. And and that goes a long way. Yeah. Ah, oh, the best words, uh, Ryan. Yes, that that um, the tone really, really setting the tone. I think is the almost most important thing <laughs> you can do is um, because you can have all the prep, everything done too, and at the end of the day, you showing up and you're not giving that good energy oh like no one wants to enter a room and like work with that you know like that's just gonna make whatever kind of day much harder or easier and I'm just that's like uh with the directing experience I have I know that's something I bring I am here I am cheerleading everyone I'm like let's go we're day one and I'm like dying inside but I'm like day one we're here how are you what's going you look beautiful yes costume yes makeup that's me on set when you hire me I'm coming in I don't care how much coffee I've had I'm doing that because I get how important it is and that's like what I tell anyone who's hired me you're you're getting me as a freaking cheerleader and I never cheerleaded in my entire life <laughs> that's who I come on the set for well the more excited you are the more excited everybody else is going to be the harder yeah. they're going to work and the better yes. the product is going to be absolutely that's exactly what happens and that's <laughs> that's and it should be that way because it's a really tough job it's really tough mm-hmm. to be an actor it's really tough to be 
a director, a cinematographer, it's a tough. Mm -hmm. Making movies is tough. I mean, we make it look really fun on social media, like we're all having just fun and oh we're my eating God. off the craft service table <laughs> and the sun is always out and it's always warm, but it's not like that 90% of the time. So no. you got to... You got to be a cheerleader. Yeah. You know, you got to be a cheerleader for your crew and your cast. Heck yeah. yeah. So um, I guess on on some closing notes about Ryan, what's something I guess you want to leave to, I guess, your younger self? I, I, I feel like I, I love that question where you're like, okay, if, I, if there's one piece of advice you can give to your younger self from... Hmm. To, to where you've landed today, where you get to direct and, and produce and you have a company that is making your bread and butter, like what inspiring thing can you leave to your younger self that you wish you would have said? Hmm. And it's okay if you take a minute. <laughs> yeah, that. well, I think, I, I, I think one of the things I wish I knew when I was younger was um, just – just the idea that uh, you need to create, you need to create your own destiny. Um, you know, you need to create your own career. You need, you need to be your own cheerleader. You know, because if you're not doing it, no one's really going to do it for you. Yeah. You know, you can, you can have great, you can make great, you can make great friends, and you all support and help each other, which you should do. But you know, like I remember when. I got to do my first movie and it did really, really well at the box office. And we got all these accolades and awards and everything. And I started having studio meetings. I had a good agent and I was just oblivious to what I was getting myself into. You know, I was in my 15 minutes of fame, if you will, for where, you know, at my level of fame, I guess. And I didn't know. I didn't know how to operate. I didn't know what to do with it. Yeah. And so I would go to these meetings and people would be like, oh my gosh, I saw your war, World War II movie. It was brilliant. And tell me about this. And I would tell them like, oh my gosh, that's so smart. And da, da, da. I'm like, yeah, thanks. Thank you. And they go, so what are you going to do next? And I'd be like, I don't know. I'm, I'm here. What do you have for me? And they'll be like, well, we, you know, we have some projects, but they already have directors attached and stuff. So, you know, we'll get back to you. We'll get back to you, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. And and then and then what would happen is they'd forget about you. Yeah. They wouldn't remember you anymore. And and had I had I had understood how it worked back then, this is I guess what I'm getting to is what I would have told myself. And that is is uh, when your opportunity, when your fame comes, when your window of opportunity arises for you, and you get some recognition, and some people are interested in you and want to work with you, have whatever your next project is ready. Mm -hmm. That's what I say. That Tessa you have it. it. We gotta keep <laughs> and, going. <laughs> yeah. So like I have a, I have a script pile. Yeah. I have a script pile of 10 scripts. Mm -hmm. And if anybody can do this. Yeah. You take what you do is you you get 10 scripts. Just get 10 scripts. I don't care if you hate all of them. Just get 10 scripts. And you're like, these are my 10 scripts that I have access to. I know the writers. I could people would let me do these movies. These are my 10 scripts. And even if you know they're all horrible, go through them and rank them from which one is absolutely the worst to which one is acceptably bad. <laughs> but as you get more scripts, as you get more scripts, you then remove one from the pile. Mm -hmm. And eventually you get a pile of 10 scripts that you're fairly proud of. Yeah. And then when you go to a meeting and someone says, that movie was great, what's your next movie? 
you can be like, well, I'm developing a bunch of projects. Uh, my favorite is this. And they're like, well, we're not really looking for that. And I said, well, what, I mean, what are you looking for? And they're like, well, we're looking for a thriller. It's like, I got a great thriller. I've got one that I've been developing. It takes place here and this is what it is. And like, oh my gosh, can we read that? Yes, absolutely. You know, let's talk about it next week. Give it a read and let's call me and let's talk about it. And that way you keep the momentum going yes. because if you don't create the momentum, it's just going to die. Can't just yeah. wait so, for it. Yeah. To keep yeah, coming to you. Yeah. I think that's so, I love that you said that, Ryan. That is such a great answer. And I think uh, a lot of us know, like, I think what I tried to, or what we tried to both kind of figure out on the show too, is how these amazing people that we meet on virtually on Instagram and have these lifelong careers, like those things that actually keep you working. Cause that is the success. Like it's not mm -hmm. about being a celebrity or gaining like all these accolades. It's about getting to work and do the things you love yeah. every day. I think that's, that's to me what happiness is. If someone were to ask me like, what, what does happiness mean to you? <laughs> it's like, you know, it's about being able to do what I love every day and wake up excited. Like, and, and that's, that's comes from doing work and creating stories that I'm passionate about, right? When Tessa is like acting and being able to portray stories that she's passionate about. So I, you can't just wait for that. And sometimes when it's so hard to just do one feature film, it's almost insane to tell someone that, hey, you got to have your next feature ready. I think it's like, it's not oh, it has to be perfect, but have an idea of where you're going. Because absolutely, like when you, if you start to gain success from that, there, you gotta, you gotta show that you've got it. You've, you know who you are and what you want to move to next. And people are attracted mm -hmm. to that. That's then you've that's got the momentum. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I love that. Build the momentum yourself. Like you create the momentum. I will say also, just in respect to like with you guys, you know, doing your first feature and things like that, and when that movie comes out and, and gets accolades and awards and all that kind of stuff that hopefully will come with that quickly for you guys, is that when you, when someone has a movie and it, and it does really well, say it plays at Sundance or whatever it happens, um, that when people come to you that are interested in working with you, taking you to that next level in your career or that next budget level or whatever. Um, it's not fun, but you kind of need to stay in your lane mm -hmm. when you first start. Yeah. Cause like, if you do like an amazing like horror movie and then they're like, Oh my gosh, it was so amazing. We want to work with you. What's your next project? Like, Oh, I've got this Christmas movie that I want to do. <laughs> Their eyes are just going to glaze over. Like, <laughs> Right. You can do a Christmas movie? Like, we know you can do that. <laughs> what I, yeah. you know, so you send a mixed message. And now there are people that will argue with me about this all day long, but I know that I'm right because I've had many conversations with agents at real agencies that say you need to stay in your lane. Mm -hmm. yeah. And not that it's fun to do that because as storytellers, we want to tell all kinds of stories. Yes, so true. We might want to do a rom-com. Yeah. We might, might want to do a comedy. We might want to do a thriller. The next one we want to do sci-fi movie because we're storytellers. But in the industry people want to put you in a box for sure. And you kind of need to start that way to get the momentum going. Mm -hmm. And then you can kind of pivot and change. So when the opportunity comes for people, they make this movie that does really great. I think that the next movie that they pitch should be something relatable or similar so that the people that are interested in you can see it. Yeah. yeah. They can envision it and yeah. go, ah, oh, yes, I can see that movie because I 
can see what you would do with that because I can I just saw your other movie That's and I can point. see yep that makes the similarities sense. and how that would would yeah. Yeah, yeah, how they would yeah. play out. I, I think that's a really, really smart and good point because, yeah, and and you know what? Why not stretch that muscle if you really want to do a different genre in a, a shorter version? Maybe it doesn't have to be a feature, yeah. so that way you sure. can still have that under your belt. Maybe you know that's kind yeah. of what I look at as like maybe doing shorter projects or things that I can't devote a whole feature length's work of time and effort, but maybe I could do it in a short version and, and go back to it later on, like in a, mm-hmm. in a feature sense. So I think that would be yeah. something I would add to that. I think, you know, sometimes people will, will challenge me on that point and they'll say, well, yeah, well, look at Spielberg, you know, he'll do, he'll do the Fablemans, but then he'll do a World War II movie and then he'll do uh, War of the Worlds with Tom Cruise. And I go, yeah, that's because he's Spielberg. Yeah. <laughs> Spielberg can say, Spielberg can say, I want to do a movie with two people in a rowboat. And they'll be like, let's go. Let's do it. They're not going to question the man because he's proved himself. But if you go back to his early work, you go back to Duel and and, um, I'm forgetting the second movie he did with Goldie Hawn and things like that. And Jaws and things. They're all kind of action-y based Mm -hmm. start. That's where he kind of started. And then it kind of shapes and it changes because he gets more power. Yeah. And, and I think we all need to know, we need to find our lane, start there, and then hopefully we can, it can branch out into more paths for us. Yeah. Know? I think that's really good advice. I think it makes complete sense, really, you know? Yeah. Yeah. We, we support that. And I think that's great that um, you kind of explained why, the industry why behind that. Because mm-hmm. you want to get in, if you want to break into it, you kind of have to play the game a little of yeah. like... Yes. This is who I am. I'm and 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 fight for it. Then you can start to fight for it more too. I think when you start to show more of your work and stuff, yeah, and refine yeah. it. So that's that's a really good point. When your movies start making a lot of money, then you can start saying, "I'd like to do this instead this time." Yeah. and they'll be like, "Well, yeah, you've you've made money three times, so yeah, okay, we'll 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 go down that path with you." Yeah, you know. Yeah. So it's all about building that trust and and mm-hmm. as well. So I think that's. A great point too. Yeah. Um, and also, Ryan, I want to mention though your hit podcast, Filmmaking Friends. Yeah. Um, well, I was just going to we... say, like, yeah, yeah, if you want to share uh, with our listeners how they can yeah. find your work, follow you, and then yeah, the podcast just. Share everything with yeah. us. <laughs> yeah. So if you're going to listen to only one podcast, make it the Fem Regard podcast. <laughs> but if you have time for two podcasts, <laughs> make the second one Filmmaking Friends. Ryan, um, you're welcome I back just, anytime. Oh, thank you. <laughs> um, Filmmaking Friends is a podcast that I created uh, about four years ago. Um, and basically, I just invite my filmmaking friends on to talk and share crazy stories about working in the industry and how they survive because it's a crazy industry. <laughs> yeah. um, and that's really what it is. And and I And I designed it. First and foremost, I just I started that podcast because I was getting a lot of questions from young filmmakers who were like, "Hey, you made a feature movie. How can I do that?" Yep. And so I started the podcast because I just didn't have enough time to write super long emails or have super long conversations with people about all the things I could share with them, the tips and the things that I learned and the pitfalls and all that stuff. Yeah. So I thought, well, why don't I just interview people and talk about the questions that young filmmakers ask mm-hmm. me with people that have done the thing that they want to do. 
so that's the, that's primarily the main reason I do it. I don't make any money from the podcast or anything, but but Guys, that's it's why really I've done good. it. And yeah. we love that. So. And if you love this show, you're gonna love his podcast because it's it's fun. It's it's fun and it's it really you're speaking to people the same kind of people that we're speaking to. They're independent filmmakers. They're working. Yeah. And what is the sauce to keep that going in a very crazy industry? So we love that. Episode 90 has two <gasps> crazy ladies on Oh my gosh, you guys should probably oh my go gosh. listen. I was going to say, <laughs> gonna say you might want to check us, check out episode 90 if you want to hear uh, some fun stories. <laughs> Highly recommend. About, about uh, you know, the first thing you should do when you start as a filmmaker is to make a Western. Yeah. I mean, yeah, we right? think it's probably the smart way to go it really is the way yeah. to go you should just do that yeah and like direct hard from a horse like just get <laughs> on a horse yeah yeah and just so if you want to learn how to make westerns episode 90 there's two ladies on there that'll teach you how to do it yes it was such a pleasure for us to be on your show you're really mm-hmm. passionate about what you do you definitely support independent creators and and us ladies on the femme regard podcast and and what we're doing so we really appreciate that guys he's um very active on social media he's always posting great tips you have a youtube channel so why don't you um share a little bit where our community can go and follow you on those socials because they're spectacular well she's overselling it first of all (laughs) i don't oversell Um, anything okay except the people that i care about Well, uh, so I'm on mostly on Instagram. It's just Ryan Little Director. Um, I'm fairly active on there, and I definitely try to respond to everyone's messages. So if you want to talk to me, that's probably the best place to find me. Um, There's the Filmmaking Friends podcast on iTunes and Spotify and Amazon and all those places you can listen to that. Um, I have a YouTube channel. It's kind of, I don't know. I'm not a YouTuber, but there's stuff on there. Uh, I post all the video versions of the podcasts on there, there and some, sometimes some tips and stuff. It doesn't have an official thing, but if you just look up Ryan Little Director, you'll you'll find it on YouTube. And that's really it. I don't do TikTok or Snapchat or any of the other ones, really. I just don't have time. Yeah. Yep. I prefer We're to make movies than be on social. So yeah but when he is yeah. on social it's really cool to see his behind the oh. scenes oh you were gonna say you got excited what are you excited <sighs> I about? just feel I feel bad I almost blew this <laughs> um I uh during uh AFM American Film Market last month um I was invited by Stage 32 which is a website a resource uh Love Stage 32 I, so I was invited to be I don't know how many there are of us I think there might be a dozen of us they're called thought leaders okay and so um, I'm a part of the Stage 32 community where we do vlogs and presentations for people on there to share and you know share ideas and stuff like that. So yeah, I'm a part of the Stage 32 team as well. So if you get on Stage 32, I will be posting you know different videos and tips and things uh, with other filmmakers on there. So that's kind of fun. Yeah. So that's new. Very cool. Congrats. Yeah, so there's that, there's that, that as well. I love so. following their social media too. They're always giving good tips and they have programs too that are very supportive. So this doesn't shock me that they have, <laughs> of course, a world-class leader on... No, I mean, this is too much. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not, not going to drink this Kool-Aid that you're giving out. I'm just not. <laughs> I'm making you blush and that's just good enough for me. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man. 
No, I, I think you're you are really good at what you do, Ryan. And um, it was again, you're welcome back anytime. You have a couple Christmas movies that are circulating back to watch and stream. Mm-hmm. So yep. where can our viewers yep. also take a look at that? So if you're one of those people that haven't had enough uh, Christmas movies in your life yet, which I don't know how that's possible, <laughs> but anyway, um, and you want some more, uh, I have two out there. I have one on Lifetime Channel, which is called A Fiancé for Christmas, okay. which, uh, Who which doesn't uh, love yeah, is on that. Lifetime. <laughs> Love a fiance for Christmas. I don't know. I think it's it's you know it's targeted for people who want a fiance at Christmas time. Yep. Um, <clears throat> and then the other one's called Candy Coated Christmas, um, and that is on Discovery Plus. And also the Food Net- Network co-produced it, so sometimes they show it on the Food Network. I know it's weird. The Food Network has a Christmas movie, but it's called Candy Coated Christmas, and there's lots of sugar and treats in it, and uh, you can see both of those. Yeah. Amazing. So they're out there. Amazing. Well, thank you so much, Ryan. I know our, our listeners are really going to learn a lot of directing more specific topics today, which is very exciting because we've still got a ways to to grow and learn here ourselves, aka me, on <laughs> what that world is going to end up being like. But I just love hearing um, the different perspectives with the people that on our show come from different educational backgrounds. And like, even I just love that you don't I love hearing it when it doesn't have to be by the specific book or formula. It's like Mm -hmm. going back to the story and the meaning. I think Mm -hmm. our listeners too, who are maybe come from similar background like myself, like that's relatable to me. And that's like, what's going to make a difference on set. Cause that's the story I want to tell. That's the message. That's the shot. And that's um, an important, I think reminder, but also for me, it gives me some release of like, yeah, that's, that's what I care about. That's what I'm going to do. So, and it's working for for you, you know, And it's working for you, and then it can work for me. So that's exciting. (laughs) Thanks for listening to FemRegard Podcast. If you like what you hear, tune in every Friday for more tips on the filmmaking business and insightful conversations with industry professionals. We can only grow with your support, so please subscribe, share, rate, and review. You can also join the FemFam on Patreon. For more on us, check us out at FemRegard.com. You're listening to the Geekscape Network.